Therefore, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I love you. to free us from all that enslaves us. Whether it be crippling fear, uncontrollable anger, oppressive guilt, shame, the need to somehow prove ourselves, self-rejection, condemnation, fear of not being loved, fear of not fitting in, and the overwhelming temptations of the flesh. Jesus came to free us from those real things. Salvation is not just some doctrinal theory. It's a very real part of what it means to walk with God. Amen? It's very real, very relevant, and very practical. The enemy of our soul wants to keep us enslaved. He does not want you to be free. He doesn't want you to walk in the joy of knowing you have peace with God. He doesn't want you to walk in the freedom of knowing you have power to say no to temptation. He doesn't, walk, he doesn't want you to live and walk free. And he'll do everything he can to lie and deceive you to keep you from experiencing the full freedom that is yours in Jesus Christ. But along with him, there is another force that is actively at work that is resisting freedom in Jesus. Is attempting to keep you bound and it is relentless. It doesn't want to surrender. And that force that is so destructive is mine and your will. You and I have a part of who we are that is our will to choose what we will do. To choose to serve God or to choose to serve ourself. That is a will that God has given you. It is part of his creation. And he will not override your will. He will allow you to use your will to choose him or yourself or a lie, or a truth. And that will, as you know, sometimes doesn't want to give in. That will sometimes wants to take over. That will sometimes exercises itself even in the midst of a room like this where we have worshiped, we've already heard testimony, we're going to hear God's word, where God's spirit is here, even in a room like this. Our will is going to be actively at play this morning. In fact, it already is. And that will, if you don't bring it under the blood of Christ, 
will try to keep you down and it will make you into what I'm calling our message today, a control freak. Anybody know any control freaks in your family at work? Yeah, come on now. A few people being honest. Control freaks are right here in the room. They us, right? Because we like to keep control. We like to make sure we look good. We like to make sure everybody else knows we look good. We don't want anybody else to see us weak. We don't want people to see us down. We don't want people to see us needy. We don't want people to see us in any kind of situation where we might look vulnerable. We don't want anybody to see us like that, so we put on our good control faces even on a Sunday morning. Hello? We do our best to try to look good, sound spiritual, and all that kind of stuff instead of just being flat out honest about what's going on in life sometimes because that's how good we are at being control freaks. Now, this is a part of us that has to die. This is a part of us that has to come to an end because a control freak cannot be fully conformed to the image of Christ. A control freak likes to maintain maintain control and say, I am not going to do that thing, God. I am not going to surrender. I am not going to admit. I am not going to confess. I am not going to try to reconcile. I am not going to forgive. I am not going to do that. I am not, I am not, I am not. That is the language of a control freak. And I think we can all identify. Amen? We're all together in the room this morning on this whole thing. So let me, let me illustrate all of this. We're going to look at a story from Scripture, and then you're going to hear a real-life story. So here's the deal. Let's start with me and you, and let's assume that you and me here are already saved. Okay? I'm convinced that most of the folks in the room here this morning are believers in Jesus Christ. You've put your faith in him already, so you have surrendered yourself to him, but now begins the longer-term work of continuing to do that. So here is you and me now. We're not fully conformed. There's still a lot of stuff in us that Jesus is working on. There's still some things he is shaping. There's still some rough edges he is knocking off. Amen. There's still some stuff he's teaching us. And he will use some things in our life to make sure that happens. He will use, number one, his word. The truth of God has the power to change us. We'd open the scripture and we read God's word. And it has the power to change our behavior, to speak to us. Uh, Jesus said, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So the word of God is one of the primary ways that God speaks to us to change us, to move us forward, to no longer be who we are right now. None of us really want to be who we are right now for the rest of our lives. As a believer, we want to change. some things we want to overcome, some things we want to grow in. So he will use his word. He will also use his spirit. The Spirit of God is at work, even this morning. The Spirit of God is already in this place, and he is speaking. You have sensed it. You have sensed the moments where you felt the love of God for you. That's the Spirit. You have sensed moments where joy was rising up in you. That's the Spirit of God. You have sensed moments where truth was speaking to your heart. That's the Spirit of God. God uses his word. He uses his Spirit. But he also uses something else to speak to us. He uses events in our life. Just as you heard Jerry say, we'll just pretend like this is a calendar here. 
right? So God uses his word, he uses his spirit, and he uses events in our life, circumstances in our life, to conform us, to shape us, to move us forward. Now, it's on us to be obedient to the word, to the spirit, and to the circumstances playing out in our life. It's why it's so important to read God's word. It's why it's so important to learn to listen to the spirit of God. That's why it's so important to learn to recognize in our circumstances because these things move us forward so that we no longer stay you and me now. We end up becoming you and me, not perfect, but you next. Because there's so much more that God has for us. And this will continue on until the day he takes you up into heaven. And get this, it will continue to happen when you are in heaven. You will be like him when you see him, but eternity will be a forever journey of us experiencing and knowing more of the wonders of Christ. That's how vast his wisdom and glory are. So. God will use these things in our life to move us to the next place. And what it takes is for us to be humble, for us to pray, for us to seek God, for us to trust God, and for us to surrender to him, to let him have his way, to do whatever he wants to do. And when he starts speaking and when I respond in these ways and I am even obedient in the process, then I become me next. He starts conforming me and I no longer look like what I used to look like. Now, here's the deal. If you start exercising your will and you say, I don't know about what I just read. I'm going to stuff that down, that spirit moving inside me. I, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that right now. I don't have the courage, the faith, whatever. I'm not going to do that. And these circumstances, man, I hate what's going on in my life. And you think I'm going to change? Forget you. That's the will speaking. That's the will that has to die. And here's the deal. If you want to move on to here with all of this, you have to learn to be sensitive to this and act in accordance with this. And if you don't, God is so committed to you becoming next, to you growing, that he will not only send his word, his spirit, and circumstances, if you keep resisting, God will do something very interesting in your life where, you don't like that color. He will introduce an event in your life where he will say, you know, I really, I'm really committed to you growing into all that I have for you. I want you to experience the fullness of what I have for you and your will is going to have to yield. And so God will turn up the fire in our life to bring about an event or sometimes events that are difficult, that are unusual, that are chaotic, to try to get our attention and bring us back to the place where we are humble and we pray and we seek him and we trust him, we surrender and we're obedient to him. And these moments, they will be awkward, 
they will be the kind of events where you think, this feels so uncomfortable. I don't like this moment. I don't like this tension. I don't like this awkward feeling that God's calling me to do this thing. I just, I'm so nervous about it. It feels awkward. In fact, it also feels very impossible. I don't see how it could get resolved. I just don't know about how this could all work out. And in fact, it's also very painful. Does anybody in the room recognize events like this that happen in your life? They do. They come along. They all happen. And in those moments is where we get fearful. It's where we get nervous. It's where we get anxious. It's where we start saying, this is all too much. And it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be awkward. It's supposed to have an impossible feel to it. It's supposed to have some pain to it because the goal is to move you and I to this place. It's supposed to push us to this. And when we've stopped doing this on our own, then God will bring something into our life to help us get there. Now, sadly, some people... Let me use Jerry for an illustration here. Jerry, I even told Jerry this. Come on. It's like, oh man. <laughs> Your blood pressure is going to be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> Stand right here, face this way. Jerry, when I push against you, resist, okay? Do what's natural to you. So, <laughs> watch. This is what happens. We don't resist. We don't, we don't conform to what God wants us to. We resist. And so God says, okay, Jerry, I want you to. Jerry, I want. Jerry, I want. You see, does anybody recognize this? This is often what happens in our life. God starts putting a new thing in front of us and we say, hey, that's just uncomfortable out there. That's just awkward. That's just, I don't know about that. I just don't want to. Right? Thank you, Jerry. That's what a lot of us do though when God starts trying to move us forward. We just, we dig our heels in deeper. And so God brings even more of this into our life. And the, the crazy thing is, in that moment, there's a natural sense of anxiety because you're about to face something that's brand new. You wanna, you're about to face something you've never done before. And this is what's so sad today is that we recognize, I feel so anxious right now. The answer to our anxiety is to release and be humble and pray and seek and trust and surrender and be obedient. That's the answer. But so many people say, I just feel so anxious right now. And they own their anxiety and they sit in their anxiety and they choose to not move forward thinking that is who they are. It is not who you are. It is simply your flesh's response to an uncomfortable moment when God is trying to move you forward so that you will trust him and not yourself. Anxiety is me wanting to trust and control the situation and not move into what's next for me. So in that moment, yes, there's anxiety. In that moment, we can become very defiant. 
in that moment, sometimes we even will choose to medicate the angst, angst that we're feeling. I'm going to run away, eat it away, drink it away, pleasure it away, drug it away. I'll do something because the last thing I want to do is this. Therefore, I will control this moment. And the control freak wins the day. Now, I want to show you a passage of scripture in which this happens. Then you're going to hear a story from one of our own men here where this happens. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 9. We're following a man here named Saul, whom we might know if you've been around Christianity for a while, you'll know him as the man Paul. Paul, the writer of much of the New Testament, before he was Paul, was a man named Saul. And Saul was a man who was extremely religious. He was a man who knew the law of God better than any of us know the law of God. He was a man who made a name for himself. He was a man who excelled in his career in religion. He became a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knocked it out the top and he made sure he accomplished everything that he thought he needed to accomplish so he could look good. Until this message about a man named Jesus came along and the story that Jesus said was that he had come to fulfill the law and that all this keeping the law really meant nothing. Now you had to humble yourself and come to Jesus because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Paul, Saul, looked at that and said, I ain't doing it. I have built my life on being a very religious, law-keeping man. I've worked hard. I've built myself up. I've built my career. I've got my, my public. I know who I am. They know who I am. And I am not going to admit that I need Jesus. He was a control freak. And where we meet him today in our story is right here. Because God wants to show him something new and Saul has been resisting the new thing that God wants to show him. And Saul has said, I will control this situation. I will not make myself look weak. Acts chapter nine, verse one, it says, then Saul, still breathing threats, and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest. He saw he not only didn't want to humble himself to this Jesus, he didn't even like Jesus' followers. And he's so upset about it that he's out to murder those who are Jesus' followers. It's often what happens when you are a control freak. You start wanting to control other people. You start wanting to make them do what you want them to do and you breathe threats, and you're angry, and you're bitter, and you're hard, and this is Saul. So he's after these disciples of Jesus. In verse two, it says, and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Man, this is how hard a heart gets when it is a control freak. It doesn't care who it hurts. It doesn't care if... 
they are men, if they're women, if they're in need, if they're weak, it just runs over them all. Verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Suddenly, this moment happens. Suddenly, God says, Saul, I've got something for you. And you won't listen to me. I sent my word. I sent my spirit. I've sent circumstances. And now I'm turning up the heat, Saul. And he caused this event to happen where a light shone around him from heaven. This was not some clever light display that just showed him. This is God who shows up in Saul's life. Verse 4. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus speaks directly to him, calls his name. He was after his heart. He was trying to win his heart and break his control freak heart. Saul, verse five said, who are you, Lord? Saul recognized, this is, this is God, but this is God in a way I've never seen him before. This is not the God I thought he was. This is something brand new. God has something new to show all of us. Saul had resisted, but now Jesus shows up. And Saul says, who are you, Lord? I don't know this part of you. I don't know this side of you. Verse five, then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. This was an agricultural term, or not agricultural, but a farm animal term that Saul would have understood. If you were herding cattle or sheep or oxen, you tried to keep them in the path. You had a way you wanted them to go. And you called them, you led them, you directed them, and as long as they were going in that path, that was fine, but sometimes there would be one of those who would try to venture off the path, who wanted to go their own way. They were control freak oxen is what they were. And so if you were that farmer, that ox owner, you had a sharp metal rod and it was sharpened on the end with a point. And if that oxen got out of the path, you would go up and you would poke him a little on the backside to say, hey, let's get back in line. Let's go on down the path here. I have somewhere I, want, I need you to go. I'm trying to get you somewhere. So he would use a little pain in his life to try and get him back on the path. God will use sometimes pain in our life to get us back on the path. He will, amen. And, and, and Jesus says to him, hey, Saul, it's hard kicking against the goat, isn't it? Because if you're that ox and you're control freak ox, that thing comes and barbs you on the backside and you're like, hey, you do that right there. Well, if you do this, you are kicking against the goat, which makes the pain whoo, even harder. It goes in deeper. Not because you got a mean master, but because you got a control freak heart. You're causing the pain in your life. You're causing more pain because you're kicking against the very thing that God is trying to do in your life. Verse six. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Control freak is breaking right here. Control freak who had run his own life, done his own thing, refused to do what Jesus asked him to do, now says, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
I'm releasing my control freak power. What do you want me to do? This is the best thing you can do if you want to break the power of being a control freak in your life. God, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now, this is how we know that Saul had been healed of his freakness because Jesus says to him, hey, Saul, why don't you go into the city and you'll figure out there what you're going to do next or I will tell you there what you're going to do next. That is hard news for a control freak. I'm going to give you a little bit of information and then you'll find out next what you're going to do after you do that. Control freaks don't like the unknown. Control freaks don't like surrendering control. Control freaks like to know, I go there, and then what's going to happen? No, tell me, what's going to happen there? Oh, yeah, uh, well, I'll go there if you tell me what's going to happen. That's most of us. God, I'll, I'll, I'll do that thing if you tell me what's going to happen. If I, can, if I can know for sure what the next step is in Jesus' Saul, you go, I'll show you what to do next. Verse 7. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. This is how we know control freak was broken. Because nobody wants to know. I'm blind, I can't see I don't know what's around me. Just lead me and I'll go where you tell me to go. That is rough. Because now I have to completely trust you and not myself. I can't trust my senses. I can't trust my sight. I can't trust my knowledge. I can't trust anything. Saul is blind and he's having to be led to the next place. This is how we know Saul had his control freak broken in this moment. It says that he was there. In verse 8, he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. This is where Saul was being sent by Jesus. And he said to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So here's another man in the city that God spoke to at the same time. And Ananias said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Saul was being sent to a place where God had already prepared a man to go to meet him in that moment. God had arranged a divine meeting that Saul had no knowledge of. Here's the deal. When you surrender your control freak powers and you're willing to do whatever God has for you next, he's already provided the answer out there in front of you. But you have to go before you can find that out. You have to yield before you can know. You have to go before you can see it. You have to obey what he says. you got to give up your freak powers. Verse 15, I'm going to skip down in the story. Because now God 
or Jesus speaks to this man, Ananias, and says, the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul. Saul was a rough dude. Saul was a guy that Christians avoided. And here Ananias goes and says, brother, to him. Verse 17, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has come to me. He has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. The man who was a control freak surrendered his will because of an event that happened and he was willing to be humble, to pray, to seek the Lord, to trust God and other people, to surrender his will and be obedient. And what happened was God used all of that to turn Saul into Paul. And much of the New Testament we have is because he wrote it from a heart that was no longer a control freak. Amen? Now, I want you to hear the story of a man here in our church who experienced something very similar in his life that this is a beautiful illustration of. So why don't you welcome to the stage with me this morning, Kyle Kirkman. We're gonna bring some chairs up here. Y'all give him a hand. Yeah. Did all of that sound familiar? <laughs> all right, get a mic for him. We'll set these up here. All right, you probably saw last week uh, Kyle and his wife, Hannah, uh, doing the announcement. So uh, a little bit of a, not a stranger to us. I've been here at Vertical for just a little while. So give us just a little bit of background on your family. Just so everybody knows who you are here first. Sure. Yeah, good morning, everybody. So, um, so I come from um, mom and dad, and then I have a younger brother and a younger sister. Sister's in the middle, younger brother. Um, and we grew up in North Dallas, Plano specifically, um, from about 95, 96. Um, before that, we lived in Garland, but that's yeah. that's us in a nutshell. Okay. And yep. today, you're married, have a wife. I am, and yes. how many kids? Four boys. There you go. Yep. All right. Yep. It's, it's Hannah's fault, though. She, <laughs> she prayed for boys in high school, so. Okay. Yep. Awesome. So, living in Plano. Yep. Um, preteen years, let's start there, an event happens that starts to frame yep. your life. What yeah, so... Um, you know, we, mom, dad married. I can remember times when they didn't get along all that great. And then when I was around 12 years old, um, it's when they got a divorce or started the series of a divorce. Um, and, and that just sort of shook the foundation of, of kind of childhood for me. Mm. Um, you know, being the oldest of, of the kids, um, that sort of kind of molded what my future would sort of come, become into my teenage years and early 20s, et cetera. So, yeah. Okay, so what does that start to look like? You move into high school, sure. college. What is what is life like for you? Dad's yeah. not at home. He's not. No, so, you know, we visit him. We get the normal visitation stuff, you know, Wednesday night dinners and every other weekend. Eventually, every other weekend turns into not going over there. Mm. Um, it was just not enjoyable. We didn't like it as kids. There's not much for us to do, whatever. Um, so that becomes less and less of him. Uh, as I get into my teen years, um, <laughs> I kind of, you know, I kind of was thrust into this sort of man of the house role. Um, and, you know, of course my mom, 
shortly after they got divorced, you know, 9-11 had happened and she had her own business. She actually lost the business. So she was struggling financially to work in however many jobs to keep whatever. So I took it on myself to not be a burden of the house, um, which kind of meant that I sort of enabled freedom in and of myself to go do whatever it is that one wanted, wanted to do. Um, and so that multiplied into my teen years of, you know, literally doing whatever I wanted to do. Um, it was, you know, drinking, smoking, partying, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, wow. just anything and everything under the sun, basically. Yeah. So, and not to glorify any of that, but you no. told me some crazy stories. Yes, sir. Things that are just... Parents yeah. would be appalled. There's children here, so we won't mention those We won't those do things, any of those but, things, yeah. but yeah. you can all imagine you're 20, you're doing what you want to do, and what all that leads to. There's yeah. no, uh, you had a little bit of church background growing up, but. Kind of, yeah. That's, that was more my, on, that was my mom's faith projecting, or my mom's religion projecting onto me, yeah. and I didn't really, it was not sticking at all for me, so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's to the point, again, if I remember correctly, you almost don't even make it out of high school. That is correct, yeah. So yeah. I had some pretty awesomely low grades, um, like really bad. Yeah. Um, you know, I came into my senior year of high school and the counselor was kind of looking at the paperwork like, well, we can try, you know? Wow. So yeah, senior year was a lot of like, I took like nine courses, I think, my senior year, which normally was as excessive for yeah. being a senior, so. So you're the guy in high school that people say, that dude's a chump. Yes, know? 100%. <laughs> yeah, yep. And I was, the, I was the one that colleges looked at and said, like, we don't understand this because his test scores are great, but his GPA is terrible. Because mm. I could take a test, but I couldn't obviously go to school um, to save my life. So anyway. Yeah. So that spins on kind of more out of control <laughs> it in does. your college years. Yeah. Looks worse. There's... Well, it's more freedom at that point, right? So I can, I'm basically away from home now, right? I think there was a little bit of control still around in my house because I had to come home to my mom's house almost every night. Um, you know, when I went to college, it was like, that was it. I didn't have to, I didn't have to report to anybody. I didn't have to call anybody. I didn't have to talk to anybody. I didn't have to face anybody. It was just like, you go do you. Actually, my first semester of college, um, I, you, you and I spoke about this a little bit. First weekend that I was at college, we ended up getting busted at a party and the cops came and we all got tickets. I mean, literally, I moved in Friday. This was Saturday night, you know, and then I lasted at that college about eight, less than eight weeks. I didn't even make it to midterms before I had to formally withdraw. So, yeah, it was just, it was bad. So in, in wanting to have control, I yep. will control my life. Yep things are spinning out of control. You actually have... Yep. I didn't see it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're... I mean, I didn't you're, care. You're living it up. Yeah, it was, just another, it was just another place, another time, you know, another party, whatever the case may be, so... Wow. Yeah. You wouldn't think that by looking at him today, but um, That's right. this, is, this is what's happening. Now, we're going to fast forward all sure. the way to the point where you meet Hannah. I do, yep. And she... She straightened you out a little. She is one of the only people in my life. And I had a lot of, um, you know, I, I sought out a lot of, um, like, men in my life to be examples, right? And I think I sort of pursued that. I don't know if those individuals ever knew that, but, you know, I, I pursued looking up to other men in my life. Um, and it took Hannah to really show me. <laughs> I just looked her in the face and she's crying. Um, yeah. <laughs> It took Hannah in my life to really teach me to be how to be 
um, become and start to become a godly man. Mm. So, yeah. So let's fast forward just a little bit more sure. all the way to um, the time of, well, you get married, you attend yeah. church. We do. And are baptized. Yes. And you make a decision to follow Christ with your life. It, it did. So, you know, my life definitely changed meeting Hannah. Um, and then, you know, we got married and started having kids pretty early on. And, and you know, our relationship literally just 180'd from the time we started dating till we got married. Um, you know, we were going to church frequently. Um, you know, I started... I started really having my own faith and believing in what that meant and understanding what that meant to an extent. Um, you know, not fully committed, not fully obedient, but enough to say like, I believe here and I can, I can get baptized and all that. Yeah. Yep. So COVID era happens. Yes. Not in church. Yes, that's correct. And um, so fast forward after that, you come to Vertical. Yeah, so we were attending a couple other church in, in the Ellis, churches in the Ellis County area, um, and, and Han, I think Hannah and I both agreed in our life we were seeking a little bit more, um, you know, like depth maybe, I guess is the word, for, for what we were going through each and every week. Um, and so we decided that after COVID, we were going to go kind of search around for churches, and so we kind of made a, a list in our head of like, hey, we want to try this out. We want to try this out, whatever. Um, and I think we walked in the door of Vertical for the first time. That was the first church we ever went to after this. Um, and we've been here ever since. So wow. um, it's been really good being here, number yeah. one. Um, and just the depth of it. And it's been life-changing. That's so, good. Mm -hmm. So February then of this year. Yes. 2023. Yes something fresh begins to happen for talk about <laughs> yeah talk about what that is yeah it looks a lot like this little emoticon thing looking here <laughs> an explosion if you will um so <clears throat> it's thursday february 23rd well so leading up to that i guess leading up to that the message so i had never in my life taken notes in church um i've never sat in a seat i've never sat whatever and taking notes in church um, and followed along, you know, I think this helps a lot. Really, it does. Yeah, sure. I'm a visual person. Um, but starting in January, we started the Lord of All series, um, and that really clicked with me about like what it meant. And God was really calling on my heart of like what it meant to be obedient. What does obedience look like, right, in your life? Not just a part of it, not just pieces, not just you know whatever. It is the whole chunk. What does that look like? Right. Um, and there were some messages that just kept going and going and going. Um, and then on the 19th of um, February, we had a uh, talk about, oddly enough, Jerry was up here earlier, uh, talking about First Kings 19.19, which is yeah. the story of Elisha. That same day. Same day. Um, you know, so the story of Paul and, and Ananias here, right, meeting yeah. in the same place. It's very, you know, calling two people at the same time. So, um you know, having that story being told about, you know, wherever you are in that moment, it doesn't matter. Like God is there. He's coming for you. He will find you and he will show you. Um, that was February 19th. Fast forward to that Thursday. Um, I'm driving to work and I, I work in Las Colinas um, and um, just a normal day. I mean, literally nothing. I wasn't, I hadn't had any stress in my life. There wasn't anything big new that changed, nothing. I mean, just a normal day driving to work on Thursday. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sitting in traffic because that's what we do with our life. Um, and sitting there and all of a sudden I start getting this heavy feeling in my body and it starts to get worse and I'm try, 
you know, trying to readjust in my seat and changing the air conditioner. And, and at the time I, I had uh, dipped tobacco and I had done that for ever since high school. Um, and, you know, playing baseball growing up and that was just the thing you did and it just stuck. So, uh, and we'll get to that in a minute, but, um, so, um, you know, sitting there and had a, had a dip in, I'm like, okay, maybe it was just a blood sugar or whatever. So I took that out and threw it out and, you know, sitting there, got the AC, I'm just getting real comfortable. And all of a sudden I start feeling my heart just start absolutely beating out of my chest. I start sweating profusely in my car. Um, I get just the most severe pain I've ever felt in my arm, right? My left arm and into my back. And I'm like, I'm 34 years old. I'm having a heart attack in the middle of my car. Um, you know, and that's genuinely what I felt like. Um, and, and it terrified me. You know, I've, I've done a lot of dumb things in my life um, that I probably should have been fearful of. Um, and I've never experienced that sort of fear in that moment. And so much so that um, I... Uh, I ended up calling, uh, <laughs> I called uh, Hannah and uh, basically said, you know, goodbye. Um, so that was... Um, <clears throat> you're convinced you're having a heart attack. I am convinced I'm dying. Yeah. And it sounds so dramatic sitting here today, but I'm in that moment, it was absolutely terrifying. And I'm... I'm you know, looking for hospitals. I'm like, do I call 911? I'm like, even if I call 911, nobody's getting here in time. Like, where's the closest hospital? Oh, it's 25 minutes away because I'm in traffic. Like, I mean, there was literally nowhere that I could go. Um, And in that moment, again, this little sort of explosion emoji here, right, Um, is I, I turned it over to God and I said, God, I'm like, if this is how it's supposed to be, this is how it's supposed to be. This is your will. And, and, and then <laughs> in that moment, it was like, I wouldn't say it's freeing, um, but it was God's will at that point. And wow. I got to the hospital. So this is a, I mean, this is a big thing, but it's, it's all happening in this just small moment. micro moment. Yeah. It went from, I mean, literally it went from, it was like 8.30 in the morning. It went from being completely fine on my drive to being on northbound Loop 12, stuck in traffic, like in a heartbeat. And then you're trying to find a hospital <laughs> yes. at this point. And all yep. of this is going through your mind. And yep. you respond now by yep. praying, seeking, yep. being humble, and you're broken in this moment, ready to do whatever broken you're saying, is a great what word. you want me to do. Yeah, broken is a great word because I was broken in that moment. Yep. So what happens? You go to a hospital? I do. I get to the hospital and I, and I walk myself into the hospital and get there and I am like, I mean, as shaking. I mean, just visibly body just shaking. And I'm standing there to let the doctor, you know, and they're like, what's wrong with this guy? You know, and, and they get me in, they hook me up to every machine known to man. They take my blood and look for all the markers for heart attack. They do EKG, they do all this stuff. And, you know, ask me all the questions, you know, did you change your diet? No. Did you, did you do this? No. Did you do that? No. What, what about this? No. Any family of this? No. Like all these answers are no, right? It's like, I, there's nothing that I've done differently in this moment that I'm sitting here talking to these doctors, um, you know, and, and it turns out it was, you know, they gave me some medicine to calm down. They had to, a lot of medicine, actually. They gave me some oral tablets supposed to calm me, and then they had putting in the actual juice in the IV. Um, and, uh, but it ended up 
basically just being a massive panic attack is what it boiled down to. Yeah, it wasn't, I wasn't dying, you know, thank yeah. God, but, yeah. um, you know, massive panic attack. And it was, again, it was terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Never in my life have I been through something like that. Yeah, but I'm sure it feels kind of like this Saul moment where he's, um, yep. he's traveling down a road, yep. all of a sudden is struck down. Yep. He doesn't know what to do, doesn't know what his experience is, yeah. and has to be led by the hand to the yeah. next city. He's blind. This is all happening, and you're, you're very well aware of this word, control here, yes, sir. and all of this. And yes, you're, sir. You're releasing. Yeah, so control is like, <laughs> that is sort of the main thing that I had in my life that I didn't, you know, we talk about Lord of the all and, and control is like, you know, I think the most immediate one that's just an easy example is like control your finances, right? It's like, well, I had control of that and I, I did all of that. And, you know, the control of my life, I decided what I did, when I did it, I made excuses of what was okay or what I listened to or what I was watching or whatever the case may be. Like that was my choice, right? Like I can have God here, but then this is like, you said it before, you kind of put God over here and then you put your other stuff over here and yeah. you live this moment for a little bit. Um, and in that moment, you know, and, and thereafter, it was, it was, that's not the case at all. That's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to be 100% obedient, Lord of the all, Lord of everything. Um, yeah. So God uses this. Yes. And the days that unfold after that, the weeks that unfold are powerful. They are, yeah. I actually have some passages that you wrote, or not you wrote, but you're not Saul. No, I did not write them. <laughs> Um, no, it was some of the messages uh, the week after. So this would have been like the 26th. So the Sunday following. Sunday following, been. yep. We came to church. Um, well, this was, this was you talking about um, the heirs of the house, mm. right? So it was all unfolding in that moment for me of like, here's God calling you to do everything in your life. Here's the Lord of the all. Here's how to be obedient. Here's this moment in your life that everything explodes and you, you relinquish control. It was in talking about the heirs of the house of like what the brothers and sisters of God are supposed to look like. Um, the week after that, it was, um, the chapter there was Luke 9, 23 and 24. Um, and, and there's some other messages that I wrote in here as well, where like even before, let me back up a little bit, the week before the 19th, before the 23rd, um, I wrote a note in here. It says, God calls us to moments of decision, a moment in life that is a choice to be done and move from the past. Mm. That was on the 19th. Wow. And I had everything on the 23rd. So when you talk about having a choice and, and literally God giving you that free will to make that choice, in that moment, I had to make that choice of like, God, this is yours, everything. Mm. Um, and then fast forward to uh, the next couple weeks is uh, Luke 9. It says, uh, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Uh, take up the cross daily and follow me. Um, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Mm. And, and I think giving up that cross daily is very fitting, even today. I mean, even sitting here, I mean, yesterday was not a good day. Ask Hannah, like, those boys were driving me crazy yesterday, right? It's, it's still a daily reminder that you have to take up your cross in whatever that looks like, in whatever shape. So, so at that point, we're getting into the Jesus Follower series. Yes. So now it's like, hey, guess what? Here's how to be a Jesus Follower for real this time. Um, you know, and, and so real quick, before we get too far into that is that following Monday, um, if it wasn't enough that God pulled me out of that moment of having a panic attack on that Thursday and made sure everything was fine health wise, um, we had that series on Sunday. Um, and then the other, one of the other passages that, that you, that you were speaking to that day was first Corinthians ten thirteen, which says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Mm. 
that next Monday, right, again, as, as God hadn't called it enough in my life, um, I, had, I had dipped tobacco for countless years, and I had promised Hannah when we got married I would stop, which was almost 10 years ago at this point, uh, and then I told her each and every kid that I would stop, and that didn't happen. Um, and I was pretty open with her about it. I lied for it oh, for a while with her. And then that Monday, I remember sitting in my office because when you have these habits, you have like these weird times and these weird like moments of your day where you know when to do it. You know, if you smoke cigarettes, like you, you have a sort of a routine. Right. If you dip tobacco, you have a routine. So I'm sitting in my office and it's my, you know, it's my 10 o'clock dip session, you know, so I put a dip in. I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, of all the things that I've been through the last four days and what God's working in my life, you know, it was like, I'm, this is the last thing that I think I'm, I feel like I'm doing that, you know, I haven't given to God or this is like, I guess me testing God, right? Like, oh, if he can do that, let's try this. And so, uh, you know, I gave that to God that day and, and I have not touched it or looked at it or thought about it since that day. Yep. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. That is. Yep. And the series, go ahead and they line up with so much more yeah. of your life after that. <laughs> yeah, so it's Jesus follower, right? Which is, you know, again, now that I've got full obedience in God and I know what that looks like, it's like, okay, well, here's how to actually follow Jesus now. And that whole series that goes through, and it's just powerful. You know, Hannah and I, for the first time, we start tithing for real. I mean, like, for real, for real. Wow. Um, not just like, you know, ah, you know, we could spare some. It's like, for real. And, and it is, in this economy, hello. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we start doing that and that's full obedience. You know, we start going to things like we went to a elevation worship concert, right? Like, okay, like, who's this guy? You know, like, <laughs> you know, just those kinds of things that changing our life. And, and, you know, we started really focusing with our kids on what it means to be followers of Jesus and what that means and, and you know, helping them to be obedient. And, and all those other things that follow, right? And just shaping our life. And, you know, and then you give, give me that mountain, right? Which is how to be steadfast in those moments, right? So it's like, it's literally just these building blocks, right? And then we come here to set free, which is like, hey, guess what? You were a control freak. Now you're not. So it's just incredible. It's an incredible story. Yeah. Aren't you grateful for his story and what he's, his vulnerability to be here this morning and tell this? Man. And there's more to it, and I'm sure yeah. you and Hannah would be happy to tell those yeah. that want to come Anytime. come talk. There's, yeah. there's more to the story. Let's have dinner. Uh, Let's go. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Kyle. Thank I you, appreciate Brian. your willingness to tell your story. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Amen. Let me tell Caleb here one thing, and then we'll continue on this morning. So I know you might be thinking, all right, so now what? What do I do about my own life and some areas where I might recognize some of this stuff where this feels all too real and close to home? I'd say first thing is surrender the control to Jesus. Every one of us know what this is. You recognize it in some part of your life. You know what Kyle's talking about. You know this story of Saul. You know what it's like to keep your hands on your life and say, I'll do what I want to do. I'm not going to do that thing, God. If you want to experience the reality of Jesus 
power in your life, you have to surrender the control. The second thing that you do along with that then is you trust him in the unknown. Because it's going to happen. For Kyle, it was, now you're going to have to figure out a way to get to a hospital on a highway that's packed. And you're going to have to trust me in all that happens next. For each of us, there's areas. There are areas that God is calling you to move into. It might be to give your life to Jesus. It might be to be baptized. It might be to forgive, to reconcile, or to obey him in an area and let go of that habit you've held on to. And it'll be a vast unknown out there. But in that unknown, you choose to do, not you controlling, but you trusting him. God, I don't know what that even looks like, how I could even do that, but I will trust you in it. I won't trust myself. I'm not gonna lean into my anxiety. And then the third thing, take the next step in faith. You don't have to take it in fear. You can take it in faith. God, you called me, so I'm gonna trust you. And I'm gonna take this step in faith. Yes, it is unnerving. Yes, it is awkward. But I'm gonna trust you and my faith be bigger than my fear. My trust be bigger than my terror of this moment. And I will allow you to be Lord of my life. Would you bow your heads this morning? I know this hits very real and relevant for us today. And I know there are areas where you have to make this conscious choice to take that step. This is that moment to begin the process. Father, I thank you that where you call us, where you lead us, you are already waiting for us. You are there. You have answers there. You have help there. You have healing there. You have blessing there. And you wait for us to let go of the control. So Father, we do that today. We choose to believe you over ourselves. We choose to trust you over ourselves. I thank you for the many, many ways you're working right now in this room that you're going to show yourself strong to those who trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.